Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lionel Lamb Ministries. We come to you on these Saturday mornings and to bring some interesting topics to you. And we're going to start a new series this morning that I hope will be encouraging to all of you. However, it's not targeted at just my Messianic brethren. I am purposely going to share some information that's primarily intended to my Christian friends. And maybe you have some Christian friends that would benefit from this. We're going to go through and talk about, and I'm entitling our programs here, Messianic Teachings for Christians. These are things that as a Messianic believer I have learned and others have learned that's different from what we had been instructed when we were Christians going to church. And it's part of the reason why a messianic thinks a little bit different than the way a Christian used to think when they were going to church at the time they were. I want to take you very quickly to something that I have shared with other Christians when I've had an opportunity to be invited into a church. I usually begin with this following example. I asked the audience, and probably we're talking about a Christian audience now, American Christians, and I asked the audience, how many of you or have done this, said this, or you have heard this said by your fellow brethren in the church where you're at? And the, the statement is, you know, I'm just not getting fed there. There's just something more. I'm hungry spiritually. I, I need, I'm, I'm looking for something more for my faith. I'm, I'm thirsty. I just can't quite quench my thirst with what my faith is about. I know there's got to be something more to it. When I share that with brethren, I take them to a statement that Yeshua made about himself. He said that he was a piece of bread that if you ate of him, you would never be hungry again. He said that he was a drink that if you drank of him, you'd never be thirsty again. Now, if you stop and think about this for a moment, the folks that are sitting in churches expressing this need that they're not satisfied yet, is this a case of where Yeshua just maybe kind of oversold himself a little bit? You know, the Messiah is wonderful and good, but he, he's not quite that good. Or is it more likely that you haven't eaten the bread and drank the cup yet? And one of my great concerns, and this is from my own experience coming out of the church and coming into the Messianic movement, I discovered there were certain things being taught in the church that didn't line up with what Yeshua had said, and there were certain things that the scriptures talk about and teach about that were never addressed and never talked about. And coming into this Messianic movement, if you're a Christian, the big difference between you and I is, is that I've stopped and actually listened to what Yeshua and the apostles have said instead of just taking the party line that has been given by pastors and preachers in Christianity. And by the way, there is a significant difference. Today, I want to introduce you to one of the most controversial issues when it comes to messianics and Christians. And it has to do with, we messianics, we say that we should obey all the commandments of the Lord. That the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the law of Moses and the prophets, they are part of our spiritual instruction as well. 
And whereas Christians like to say, no, that doesn't apply to us anymore. That's, that's for the Jews. That was in the past. We Christians, we have the church, and we have the New Testament, and so forth. And this is a major point because based on what you consider to be your reference material for your faith, in other words, what is the scripture that, that defines your faith for you, if you have two different levels of that, you're going to have different results. And so I want to take you to where you should address this problem specifically, what we're talking about. And if you will, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Hold your finger there at verse 17. We're going to go through a couple of scriptures here in a moment. And let me tell you that in, in the days that Yeshua spoke this, this was the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of the biggest sermons that Yeshua taught. And Matthew recorded essentially the whole thing for us. And he addressed a number of topics. So the first part of the, chat, the sermon, he, he talked about the Beatitudes. You know, it's better to be this, blessed as he is this, and so forth. But now he's going to deal with a controversial subject. And the controversy he's addressing is this is one of the big differences between the Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. They believed that God could operate outside of the temple of Jerusalem, and so they were setting up synagogues and assemblies, where, and, and they had certain feelings about the Messiah and what he would do. And they believed that he would come and teach the Torah to the whole world. The prophecy that says, for the Torah shall go forth out of Zion, the word of the Lord out of Jerusalem, that's the greatest prophecy of the Messiah. He would be the, the great Torah teacher that would teach Torah to the whole world. Now, the Sadducees thought a little differently. They thought that any spiritual activity, miracles and other works of God, they had to be done in the temple. They couldn't be done outside of the temple in Jerusalem. Outside of the temple is unholy. So they said, hey, all that good God stuff has got to happen in the temple. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They said, hey, whatever happens, this is it. But there's also another thing that they thought and another difference that was there. The, the, the Sadducees, when they thought of the Messiah coming in the future, they said this. They said the Messiah will be so great that when he comes, his presence will be so powerful, he'll be as powerful as God was at Mount Sinai. And therefore, everything that God had done with Moses and the prophets, it will kind of fall away because the Messiah will be so much greater than all of those things. And basically, the Torah and the prophets, they'll all go away as history because the Messiah will be everything for us. Now, the Pharisees, they said, no. Moses and the prophets, they remain with us. The, the teachings are still valid. The Messiah is going to come and teach those teachings. He'll be the great teacher of that. But that doesn't mean that Moses and the prophets will go away. They'll always remain. It's just the Messiah will be the wonderful teacher of all of these things. And when Yeshua gets ready to share the verses I'm going to share with you, this is the reason why most people, when they examine this, they should go, oh, well, Yeshua is more like a Pharisee than he was a Sadducee. And, and this is one of the reasons why they say that. So here's the scripture, and I'm sure most of you are very familiar with it. It begins at Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Let me read it to you very quickly. Think not that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I came not to destroy, but to fulfill. 
For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass away from the law, but all to, until all things are accomplished. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least of these commandments, and shall teach men also to do so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, the controversy we have today between Messianic believers and Christians is about that first statement that he made. Let me repeat it to you again. Verse 17, Think not that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. I came not to destroy, but to fulfill. The key is, <clears throat> what is the definition of the word fulfill? Now, I've got a cup here, and it has just a little bit of water I used to wet my throat with. Let's say I was in a restaurant, and suddenly I want the waiter to fill my cup up. So I say, waiter, I, I would like to have some more water. Now, he's going to come over with his pitcher, and he's going to fill my cup up till it's full. He's going to fulfill my cup. At that point, will I now say to the waiter, oh, waiter, now that it's fulfilled, take the cup away. At that point, I'm going to enjoy the cup. It has been filled up full so that I can enjoy it. And that is what Yeshua is trying to say here. You remember the great prophecy? The Torah shall go forth out of Zion, the word of the Lord out of Jerusalem, greatest prophecy of the Messiah. The Messiah is going to come, and he's going to teach us the Torah even more so than we've had from other teachers. He's going to give meaning to it. He's going to fill it up full of meaning. He's going to enlarge it, filling it up, fulfilling it, doing the things that it says. That's what he was talking about. However, today in the Christian world, and this has been going on for some time, it wasn't just started recently. Teachers, Christian teachers and church fathers have been saying the word fulfill means that it has been completed and there's no more purpose to it. It's a little bit like you have fulfilled, you, you completed the third grade, we're not going to the third grade anymore, we're going to move on to something else. And the whole orientation of our Bible, where church fathers came up with this definition, not any, not the Messiah, not the apostles, certainly not Moses and the prophets. We have an Old Testament in our Bible and a New Testament in our Bible, and we have this idea that the Old Testament is old and is fading away, and the New Testament is the replacement for it. And so we get the idea from this verse that Yeshua came and whatever he did, did the work of redemption, was crucified on the cross, buried, resurrected. He did away with what Moses and the prophets had done. Now, they, they come back and they try to qualify it a little bit, and they say, well, all those commandments about you shall not murder, you shall not steal, those are still good. And a lot of them will say, oh, yeah, we still have the Ten Commandments. I always find that ironic when they say that because usually the guys that are saying that don't keep the Fourth Commandment, which is remember to keep the Sabbath you know, their Sunday going to church. And, and so it, it's paradoxical as to what their theology is. This, they, they go further with this. 
And they develop theologies. I mean, you got to go to seminary to get some of this stuff, to learn about replacement theology and dispensational theology and systematic theology. And all they are is methodologies of trying to explain away the teaching of the law and the prophets. That's what they are. It's the church fathers trying to not have to deal with Moses and the prophets in our faith. Well, if you do away with Moses and the prophets, there's a whole lot of background and understanding about our faith in the God of Israel, the Messiah, that you got to then fill in. And this is where we get the idea that the church has now replaced Israel. They had to create an, an, a corporate entity that would talk about how we all fit in because the way the Bible was written is that everybody that came into the faith was then part of Israel. And Israel wasn't just Jews. Israel was native-born, aliens, sojourners. They were all counted. They were all part of Israel. And Paul teaches us that not all those of Israel are Israel. He talked about there was a remnant within it. There was, there's believers in that. Now, there's a nation of Israel. We have lots of folks. But there's a remnant in it that actually trusts and believes the Lord. And everybody in the world was being invited into that. I remind you that the promise that God gave to Abraham, which Paul says is the gospel that was being preached first by him, was that in his seed, meaning the Messiah, would all the families of the earth be blessed. And Yeshua told his apostles after he had been resurrected, I want you to go into the world and make disciples from all nations. I want Israel to be the light to the nations in sharing the gospel. The original intent always was based on Moses and the prophets, that the Messiah would come forth and it would expand and go even greater. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And that's what he's really saying. Now, to have the definition that the word fulfill means to complete, get done with, leave, abolish, whatever you want, it's really paradoxical for it because in the very sentence that used the word fulfill, he first started with, do not think that I came to destroy, abolish, annul, or get rid of the law or the prophets. He said, don't even think it that he's completely at odds with everything he is about. So then he says, I, I came not to destroy, but to fulfill. In that very sentence, church theologians say the word fulfill means abolish, get rid of, modify, design, reform. And they're not listening to the, the simple sentence he said. This does not take a rocket scientist to fill out, figure out what Yeshua was saying, but does the average Christian even hear this statement? No, only after Messianic points it out to you. Let's go a little bit further as to what he said. To be able to have that definition, that fulfill means to end it, you have to ignore the phrase, I did not come to abolish. You have to ignore the statement that he said that the law is to remain as long as heaven and earth remain. The law will not go away unless heaven and earth is gone. He said that right there. 
Wow, that's a pretty emphatic statement that affirms the law and the prophets are going to be with us. As long as you can look up and you can see heaven and there's still an earth for us to live on, the laws of Moses, the law of God, and the words of the prophets are going to remain with us. That's Yeshua saying. That's how long they're going to be with us. How in the world do we have a, a heavens and an earth and yet the law doesn't apply to us anymore? I mean, you have to ignore that statement, that argument that he's making. He goes further and he says, even the jots and tittles, none of it will go away. Now, most interpreters take that and they say, well, that's a, that's a letter or a stroke of a letter. In terms of being emphatic, I don't know how the Messiah could be more emphatic. Not a thing in there, not even a letter, not even a stroke will pass away until all of it has been accomplished. And by the way, we're still in a world where not all of it has been accomplished. Let me remind you that the Old Testament that we refer to talks about Israel returning from the nations and coming back and forming a nation of Israel, again, that sets the stage for a yet resurrection, the day of the Lord, and the Lord establishing his kingdom. Those are prophecies that are given by Moses and the prophets, and they have not happened yet. Now, he said it's going to remain in effect until all that's done. So where did we get the idea that we no longer have to pay attention to that? Now, as I said to you before, the way the church fathers deal with this, the way Christian pastors and teachers deal with this, is they have to come up with a theology to explain this away and to come up with some new definition for it. Let me take you a little bit further into what is being said there. If you continue to follow that, and it's in those verses I read to you, Yeshua said the following, if any man teaches you so as to break any one of these commandments or annul any one of these commandments and teaches you to do that, he will be least in the kingdom of heaven. If you have a teacher who comes up and says to you, no, we don't have to keep Sabbath that's that talked about in the law, that's there in the Ten Commandments, you don't, you don't have to do it, and he teaches you and then he doesn't do it, he's going to be least in the kingdom of heaven. That's according to the words of Yeshua the Messiah. Now, I didn't say he's not going to be saved. I'm saying the Messiah said he's going to be least in the kingdom. Now, a lot of these guys that teach this stuff, they think they're great in the kingdom. They're walking around here amongst us. We're a teacher of the scriptures. We're teaching. You know, I'm pretty checked out in the faith. And yet they go around denying what God has said in the law and the prophets. And they teach you, don't do that. How about kosher? You know, the scripture says you're not supposed to eat pig. It's unclean. But you got a preacher who says, man, I love bacon. And you can eat bacon. It's not a problem. doesn't have anything to do with the Lord. See, the Lord, when he came, he did something in your body that they before didn't have. He gave you a cast iron stomach, and you can eat all of that unclean trash, and it's fine with God. Let me just ask you a real quick question. You all know that the Messiah, when he came, he's building his temple inside of us. 
you know, he's taken his commandments written on the tablets of our heart. And don't you know the temple of God is now inside of us? You know, that's what the Messiah did for us. Let me go back in history. What do you think God would have thought if you would have marched a pig into his temple to slaughter him on the altar? That's considered desecration and blasphemy, worthy of death. So what do you think he thinks of when you swallow a bunch of bacon and put it into the temple that's in here? You see, we have gotten so far off track with what the commandments are, and we have had teachers telling us in the church, I, I had the same teaching. I was told the same things. And they've told us things that are at odds, great odds, with what the scripture says. Great odds with what Moses said, the prophets said, the Messiah said, and the apostles said. Nobody, Yeshua and the apostles, never told you that you could set aside the law of Moses and that you could go and do whatever you want in regard to these things. Not one of them ever did it. This book does not teach that you are supposed to give up on the law of Moses and the commandments of God, and then because you've got Yeshua, you can go and do whatever you want, and grace of God is covered and covers you no matter what it is. That is not taught in the scriptures. Although that is what we've been taught by the church fathers. And as I said to you, the reason why they did that was because they didn't want to do it. They wanted to do something else. So they decided to seize the opportunity in history after the Messiah's resurrection to wrestle control of the faith about the Messiah away from a Hebrew understanding. And as the New Testament began to be formed, they decided we're going to move it away from any Jewish influence and any influence from Israel. And we'll make the church and set it up different from Israel. The other final statement that Yeshua makes there in that same passage, whoever keeps and teaches the law and the prophets shall be great in the kingdom of God. Hmm. Wow. We know that Christians teach that we're going to be great in the kingdom. Hey, glory, it's waiting for us. You know, we, get, we go to heaven. I mean, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be great. And they even go on to say, we, we Christians, we're going to rule and reign in his kingdom. You can't rule and reign in his kingdom unless you're a great person in his kingdom. You have to have authority for that comes from God. You have to be a great person to do that. But according to Yeshua's definition, the great people in his kingdom are the people who teach the law and the prophets and do them. That's certainly not what we have in the form of Christian teachers today. Now, this program is not intended to bash Christianity. Christianity has done some great things. And by the way, yours truly, sitting before here, I've had many Christian teachers that I love and they love me and they have done a lot in instructing me about the Lord. And I'm very thankful for them, for their testimonies and, and the work they spent in my life. However, their teaching was in error. And I have matured in the faith, and I'm simply following what was my earlier instruction. I was taught, we do what the Bible says. Amen, I, that sounds right. But I found out we actually don't. Because the Bible says some very specific things here. The Messiah says some very specific things. And we do the opposite. 
Now, how is that possible? Well, that wasn't a decision that was made by you or me. That was a decision that was made by the church fathers in which they decided to make the same mistake that Israel made. The, uh, he says, your righteousness must exceed scribes and Pharisees to enter the kingdom. Now, let me tell you, in Yeshua's day, if you want to find a prestigious religious leader amongst the Jews, it was the scribes and the Pharisees. They were the devout. The scribes, they were the ones who copied the scriptures. They're the ones that wrote the scriptures down for us to have additional copies. And they were the experts in it. They, they could tell you what it says. And the Pharisees, they established the congregations. They set up the synagogues in the various locations. They were the teachers. They were the ones that were getting the people to congregate and to exercise their faith in and, and the Messiah and so forth. But they made a huge mistake. And, and the reason why when Yeshua showed up, they were at odds with him was because of that mistake. Let's talk about what that mistake was. Let me take you to a passage of Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. This is a teaching from Moses about the law, and he says this. You shall not add to the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish from it, that you keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. You shall not add to nor take away. And again, additionally, in Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 32, it says this. What thing soever I command you, that you shall observe to do it, thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. You must stick with exactly what Moses gave us. You can't add to it, you can't take away. Well, I have bad news for you about Israel. That's, that's exactly what they did. They started adding to what Moses had said about the commandments. And once they got started doing that, they just kept going and they kept going. They developed what we call the oral law, the fence around the Torah. That's the way they explain it. And by the time they got to the days of Yeshua, you know what Yeshua was saying? He says, you are a people that prefer the traditions of men to the commandments of God. You prefer the precepts, the teaching of men to the commandments of God. You added to it you embellished it to the point where it, 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 the commandment is no longer being done. It's whatever you're saying, that's what's being done. And that is not what they should have done. Clearly, they added to it. And a lot of times when Christians read in the New Testament about the Jews and the religious leaders and the high priests and so forth, they think they are teaching what Moses and the prophets said. They are not. They are teaching Moses and the prophets with the stuff they added to it. And that was the reason why there was a problem with the Messiah when he came. You prefer the precepts of men to the actual commandments of God. And let me take you to Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4 and through 6. Let me read this to you. This is a, we call this the Jewish riddle. And it's so appropriate for this topic at the moment. Who has ascended into heaven? and descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound up the waters in his garment? And who has established all of the ends of the earth? What is his name, and what is his son's name, if thou knowest? Wow. Now we know 
It's God who does all those things. He's the one who ascends into heaven and descends. We know that he's the one that can control the wind. You remember Yeshua when he was on the boat on the Sea of Galilee and there was a great storm and he got up and he just calmed everything and they were amazed at that? Well, the answer here is that God does it. And he says, you know, what is his name and what is his son's name? Did you know God has a son? Now, this is a perplexing verse for my Jewish brethren to read. <laughs> this is in the Old Testament, you know, Proverbs 30, verse 4. It says that God has a name and he has a son who has a name. And you can imagine my Jewish brethren are struggling with that. But he goes further, and this is the part that we should really be focusing in on. Every word of God is tried. That means it's proved. He is a shield unto them that take refuge in him. Amen and amen. And thou shall not add to his words, lest he reprove thee and find you to be a liar. Wow. We're talking about this God and his son. And if you do not do what God and his son have said to do, it says he's going to reprove you and correct you because you added to what he said. My Jewish brethren did exactly this. They added to, and that's the reason why we had such a huge conflict between the religious leaders, the chief priests, and with Yeshua when he came. They had made this mistake. Let's talk about, just for a moment, specifically about the keeping of the commandments. The word keep that's used in the scripture is a very powerful Hebrew word. It actually is the same word that we use when we talk about keeping a garden. I, I like to garden, and I know there's a bunch of you that probably like to garden. And for those of you who are not gardeners, let me tell you something about gardening. First of all, you've got to find the right piece of ground. Okay, you've got to find the ground. And then you've got to prep that ground. You've got to make sure it's a ground that's healthy, that will grow a plant. I mean, you can't grow great plants in rocks. You need actual fertile soil, you know, to do it with. And then you have to decide, well, what am I going to plant there? and you decide what your crop is going to be. And then you get about the business of cultivating and putting the seed into it. And then you hope, pray, that the seed will sprout and you will begin to water it, nurture it, protect it. When it's small and young, you keep bugs away from it, you keep birds from eating stuff and so forth. And you get it to grow up. And ultimately, when the garden grows up, you go in and harvest it. Harvest the fruit from the garden. This is what is called keeping a garden. Well, the same thing is applied when it says in the scriptures to keep his commandments. You have to learn what the commandments are. You have to learn how to prepare to keep the commandments. You have to learn how to actually do the commandment. And you have to understand the commandment enough to deal with it to what standard and under what conditions and so forth. It's, it's a very normal thing to do. There's nothing hard about this. This is not hard to do. But it does take a little thought. You don't get to just, okay, I did it, or I thought I did it, or I kind of got close to it, and I'm going to say I did it. You know, you can stand out in the ground and say, yeah, I'm intending to put a garden in here and never do a blessed thing, and you can't go around and say you were a gardener. You have to do those other things to have a garden. Well, the same thing is true with keeping the commandments. When he uses the term, keep my commandments, He's talking about you commit yourself 
to do this. I want to show you from the Ten Commandments something that was specifically said in the Ten Commandments that Yeshua specifically quoted to us. In Exodus 20, verse 6, where we're talking about the, the Ten Commandments, he says this saying, And showing loving kindness unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Yeshua specifically said, If you love me, keep my commandments. He spoke the same words that he spoke from Mount Sinai. Oh, by the way, I didn't make a misstatement there. Was Yeshua at Mount Sinai when God spoke the Ten Commandments? Yes, he was. Was Yeshua back there at the creation? Was he the creator? Yes, he was. And Yeshua gave those commandments right along with his father. So when Yeshua was talking about the Father and I are one, he was talking, we're, we're in complete agreement with these commandments. We gave them. And that's the reason why Yeshua said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He's God. He gave the commandments. Now, how is it that we claim that we believe in Yeshua, but we dismiss what he said at Mount Sinai? How is it that we do that? And oh, by the way, for those of you who might be arguing, well, I keep the Ten Commandments, it's just the others, you know, the ritual on Yeshua said that all of the commandments hang off of the two great commandments, which are the two tablets of the Ten Commandments. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and might, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two tablets of the Ten Commandments, and off of that hangs all of the commandments. So he, when he's talking about the commandments, he's talking about them all. He's not talking about a select few. If you love me, keep my commandments. And keeping your commandments is not just acknowledging them. It's doing them. Let me take you to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. <clears throat> You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. He's now connected keeping his commandments with specifically the instruction, don't add to and don't take away. The word, the phrase, keep my commandments, is not keeping religious commandments. It's not the commandments of the Pharisees. That's not the ones or anybody else, or any of them, only the ones God gave. If you're going to keep the commandments, let's say, for example, to my Christian friend, okay, you've been told that you need to go to church. Is that a commandment in this book? No, it is not. That has been added. What does the book actually say? You will remember to keep the Sabbath, but you're going somewhere, and it's slightly different, and you've been told to do that. Are you keeping the commandments because you're going to Sunday church? No. God has said that keeping my commandments is strictly limited to what Moses and the prophets and he has said. If you got a church father who gave you an additional instruction, you are not keeping the commandments of God when you do that. You are adding to a guy who is added to or taken away. This is pretty serious, guys. All of these words in here are for our instructions so that we can walk out our faith. What are we doing? 
Why aren't we doing what the Lord says? Why, why have we gotten caught up in this system of religious men who've added to and taken away from what the Lord said? Now, as I've been sharing with you, Judaism, for the most part, has added to what Moses and the prophets said. And we can see many examples of that. However, for us, the Christian world, the Catholic Church, Protestant Church, those are protesting Catholics, mainline denominations, independent, non-denominational churches, they have taken away from the commandments. They have annulled the law while claiming to obey God's commandments. You can't get away with that. That is the opposite heir of my Jewish brethren. And by the way, you saw the results of what happened to Israel, the nation, for doing that. They walked away from the commandments of the Lord. They got kicked out of the land of Israel, scattered into the world. What do you think is going to happen to us Christians if we continue to keep this up? Where we're denying the commandments, we're annulling the commandments, we're trying to make them go away. What do you think the results will be? So let's talk about this for a moment. Let's talk about us and what we're doing with the law of Moses by diminishing what the commandments say. Let's, took a, let's go and, and refer to a couple of the apostles. Let's see what their teaching was on this particular subject. Do you remember back in Acts chapter 15, there's an interesting story there about how Paul had gone out was very successful leading a bunch of Gentiles to the Lord. He'd made a trip back to Jerusalem. There was a bunch of Pharisaic believers. They, they were Pharisees, but they believed in Yeshua, and they see these guys, and they're reverting back to their previous instruction as Pharisees about how we deal with Gentiles. You do know that you, you Gentiles are unclean. You have to be cleaned up before you can be a part of us Jews, us religious Jews. And they were still under that some of that teaching, even though they become believers in Yeshua. And so they saw these Gentile believers in, and the first thing they said to them is, are, are, are you circumcised? And of course, these Gentiles had come in from the nations. They said, well, no. So the Pharisees said to them, said, oh, you can't be saved if you're not circumcised. What? You can't be saved? Yeah, you can't be saved. You're, you're not circumcised yet. So there's a controversy. So they get together, they're going to have a conference. And we got these Pharisee believers coming in. We got Peter, the apostle, coming in. James has set up this conference, this meeting. Paul's come in with some of the Gentile believers, and, and they start having this conference. And that's what Acts 15 is all about, this conference. What are we going to do with these Gentile believers that are coming into the faith? They're not like us Jews. What are we going to do about that? And at that point, the argument had expanded to not only do you have to be circumcised, you have to keep the law. But the law they're talking about is the Pharisaic law. You know, the law of Moses with all the other things we added to it. And immediately, Peter and Paul are arguing that's not correct. And it's not correct on a whole bunch of ways. One... Salvation is not a product of obedience. Salvation is a product of faith. And furthermore, let's talk about specifically what the law requires. So they're going to have a conversation about that. So we have Paul, they're at this conference, 
And Peter is the first one who gets up and he says, brethren, he says, it's the Lord that used me first to share the gospel with the Gentiles. Go back to Acts chapter 10. Peter went to the house of Cornelius, who was a Gentile, and they accepted the Lord. And when he came back to Jerusalem and reported it, you know that Peter got in a lot of trouble for that? He got in trouble for going to a Gentile house because a good Jew doesn't do that. Well, there's complete separation with the Gentiles. There's a huge controversy here. We, we, the gospel's supposed to be going to all the people of the world, but here the new Jewish representatives who have been called by God to go do it, we're, we're trying to sort out some of this Pharisaic teaching that's been added to the law of Moses. And they're, they're in the midst of this controversy trying to break away from that and trying to figure out what the Lord really wants them to do. The same kinds of controversy that right now that people are going through when they transition from the church and come into the Messianic movement, lay down all of that church nonsense that is blocking you from hearing what the Lord has said. Well, they were having the same problem. They were trying to lay down what the Pharisees had said, and they're addressing it. And let me take you to Acts 15, verse 21. At the conclusion of this whole thing, it is, it, James makes the concluding statements about this, about the, the Gentiles came by faith, not by keeping the law. And he, says, For mo and, and he says, now how do we teach these Gentiles further about the faith? You know what James says is the way to teach Gentiles about the faith in the Messiah? He says, Acts 15, verse 21, For Moses from generations has in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. This is the Apostle James telling you Gentile believers, this is how you should increase in the faith. Go where there's a person teaching Moses each week in a synagogue on Sabbath. What? I would have thought he would have said, well, you need to go and set up a church. And let's get a preacher. He'll teach you all about the faith, how to, how to walk out your faith with the Messiah. He doesn't say that. By the way, this is James, an apostle. He said, if you're a Gentile believer and you want to continue to learn in the faith after your salvation with Messiah, go where Moses is taught. Wow, that's completely contrary to church theology, isn't it? You know what? Church fathers are disputing what James has said. They are disputing what one of the apostles have said. Let's go a little bit further. Let's talk about the Apostle Paul, because this is their favorite one. Oh, the Apostle Paul, he's really the one that straightened all this mess out and got us away from the Jews and got us away from the law of Moses. He's the one that told us all about the book of Galatians and all that. This is what Paul said when he was at his trial in front of the governor Felix before he went to Rome. This is when he's standing in the face of his brethren with the Romans, and they're trying to sort out what are the charges against Paul. Here's what he says, Acts 24, verse 14. But this I confess unto you, that after the way which they call a sect, we're talking about the faith of, of believers of Yeshua, so serve I the God of our fathers, believing all things which are according to the law, and which are written in the prophets. This is the Apostle Paul testifying that his faith, called the way, which we call Christianity, that he follows 
everything in the law and what's written in the prophets. Now, that's his confession. Verse 15, having hope toward God, which these also look for, that there shall be a resurrection both of the just and the unjust. Herein I also exercise myself to have a conscience void of offense toward God and men always. Paul is saying that the way I walk out my faith as a believer of Yeshua the Messiah is this. I follow every teaching that's in the law and the prophets. I believe in the future resurrection from the dead that Yeshua has given, the promise of eternal life, and this is what I do in trying to control my behavior before God and toward all men. Now, that's a clear testimony of faith from the Apostle Paul that says he keeps the law and the prophets. Yet, we dismiss these words, we dismiss this testimony, and we say, oh, Paul taught other things. Paul did teach other things that were very powerful. You know what he taught? He taught the Torah, and the people weren't quite familiar with it, and it was pretty sophisticated. It was deep. It was, there was great depth and understanding to it. And Peter, in his final letter, made the comment about people being confused about Paul, where he said that Paul has written some things that unstable and unlearned men twist to their own destruction. There's some things Paul said hard to be understood. And the reason why they're hard to be understood is if you don't know what Moses has actually said or what the prophets have actually said, some of the things that, that Paul was given, which was a summary statement of what they said, because he was teaching what they said, it, it can be a little bit confusing. They don't understand it, and they twist it. And that is what has happened, my friends. That is what happened to the church fathers. They took what Paul said. They didn't understand it. They were not trained in what Moses taught or the prophets taught. They thought it was something else. They twisted it around to where they, and now a say of Paul, he doesn't keep the law. And in fact, later in the book of Acts, and the Paul comes back, and this rumor has come up that Paul is teaching other people, the Gentiles, you don't have to keep the law. And James and the others, they know this is not true. And that's when they tell him, go, go to the temple, pay these fees for some other Messianic Jewish believers here in Jerusalem. Then everybody will see you keep the law, that you keep it orderly. That's when he was arrested. All of those things are in the New Testament. That whole story, Paul's testimony, what happened to him, is clearly in the New Testament. Yet our church leaders take the letters of Paul where he's encouraging brethren that he's brought into the faith, and they're claiming that those are the words to get you to not follow the law and the prophets. The irony here is absolutely incredible. It's the same irony that the most godly people in the world, Israel, the Messiah came to them, and instead of seeing that he was fulfilling the prophecies and doing exactly what Moses had said the Messiah would do, instead they rejected him. The church fathers have re rejected the Hebrew Messiah. Yeshua of Nazareth, he's been rejected, and his words are not being listened to, and his apostles' words are not being listened to. They've created a whole other scheme of theology, new commandments for you to keep, 
don't follow those commandments. This is a huge, huge mistake. I recommend to you, my friends, you better go find someone who teaches the law and the prophets and find out what the Messiah really said if you want your faith to be correct and to grow accordingly the way the apostles said. So this is one of the first questions that we dealt with. What about fulfilling the law? In the future programs, we're going to talk about Sabbath. We're going to talk about kosher. We're going to talk about certain holidays that Christians have versus what we have in the scriptures. We're going to talk about basic messianic teachings that Christians need to hear. Shalom to all of you, and thank you for viewing our broadcast. Hopefully we'll see you next week, Lord willing. Thank you everyone who listens to our podcast here at Line of Land Ministries. I want to remind you, you can get our podcast through Apple Podcasts, through Spotify, and wherever you like to download your podcast. Thank you for being a part of our program and listening to what we have to say.